everybody. It is Scott, and welcome to another podcast, Around the Bay with Scott and Sharon. And Sharon is not here. Uh, she's out doing her thing today, and I'm going to talk about rules of the road, which probably doesn't interest her even in the least bit. And I know it's a bland and boring subject, but if you're a boat driver, a power boater, a sailor boat, a sailor boater, Jesus, sailboater, you need to know this stuff. And I need to know this stuff because that's what I do. And I typically do this about this time every year when the snow's laying on the ground and it's the dead of winter. And I just need to get through this winter so the nice spring weather comes. So uh, typically in the past, I've done a blog. I've typed all this stuff out. I mean, I've typed the rules out verbatim in a blog and then gave my sort of layman's explanation of the rules. And that was like, that was like huge. I think I did that once and uh, my fingers will never be the same. I think one year I did it on Facebook even, or yeah, it was a couple of years ago. I think I did a roll a week, you know, on Facebook on my uh, Captain Scott Facebook page. And that, that just took forever too. So I'm going to go through these. I'm going to, uh, I'm only going to go through six rules today. I'm going to do six at a time. That takes about a half an hour to do, uh, per six rules. So, uh, you know, I think it'll be pretty quick and concise. I'm going to read the rule to you, and then I'm going to kind of go in a little bit of a layman's explanation of the rule, and then we'll go from there. I will admit later on when we get to uh, lights, sound signals, that sort of thing, I'm not exactly sure how I'm going to work that out for you. Uh, that might have to sort of leave that up to you to go look at pictures or something. Hey, so to start with, understand, first of all, um, there's a, there's actually two sets of rules, and I don't want to go into the long, boring history of them. Uh, there's international rules, which is pretty much the whole world, and then there's inland rules, which the United States has adopted via the U.S. Coast Guard. And the Indian, in, inland Indian inland rules take effect once you're saw, inside of a demarcation line that's at the mouth of each, uh, say, body of water that you would enter from an ocean into the continental United States, or as we called it in the Navy, CONUS. Uh, I shouldn't say CONUS. probably shouldn't say continental United States because it, it's the same up in Alaska. It's the same in Hawaii. I believe it's the same in Puerto Rico. Uh, we never pulled into Puerto Rico, so I don't really remember that. But, um, yeah. I'm only going to talk about the inland, inland rules because that's what we deal with here on the Chesapeake Bay, and that's what pretty much, uh, pretty much all you recreational boaters are just going to be dealing with the inland rules. If you go down to say down to the beach, uh, Delaware beaches or the Maryland, Maryland beaches, then yes, uh, if you're taking charter boats out from Ocean City or even in, down into the Carolinas, wherever. Uh, you're going to be dealing in international rules there. However, uh, that's typically not the folks that uh, we know around here. So 
We're just going to go with the inland, inland, inland rules. I can't talk this morning. Sorry. And uh, we'll go from there. I will say that uh, just to be clear, um, these rules are all uh, spoken in metric. Uh, so, uh, and where that uh, is the case, then I will convert that to imperial for you. But you know that one meter equals 3.23 feet. Is it 3.23 or 3.28? Gosh, I probably ought to look that up because I am a, a techie guy and I'm supposed to know that sort of thing. But uh, it's around that. Let's just call it that. Y'all can look that up if you want. So rule number one, application. International rules apply to all vessels upon the high seas and in the, all the waters connected therewith navigable by seagoing vessels. These rules shall not interfere with the special rules made by appropriate authority. A proper authority in the U.S. would be the Coast Guard, which has created one of these, one set of these rules called the Inland Navigation Rules Act of 1980 or just the Inland Rules. So there you go. That's what we're just talking about, right? 1980. I was in the Navy in 1980, and I remember this going on. I went in the Navy in 1977, and I was a quartermaster on board the submarine, and our job was to navigate from point A to point B. We were the uh, enlisted watch standers. We worked for the navigator on board, and he sort of oversaw what we did day to day. And we were the, actually the folks that sat behind the quartermaster's desk, and we plotted our position however often that we needed to do that. And every once in a while ago, uh, every once in a while, the navigator would stop in and say hello. But it was our kind of, we were kind of the boots on the ground as far as the navigation of the boat was concerned. And I remember all this, of this happening. It was a big, big to do, you know, hey, we're, you know, we're going to, we're going to adopt this separate set of uh, rules and it's going to be this and it's going to be that. And uh, I just remember it was a lot of hubbub. Over nothing, really, I guess. But um, when it's all said and done, I will tell you that the interna- in the international rules, that means I'm going to do this. Okay, if you're going to you're going to pass somebody port to port, when you send your sound signal, that means I'm doing this. In inland rules, you're sort of asking permission. When you pass somebody port to port, you're supposed to signal with your whistle signal or call on the radio, or how, whatever the appropriate uh, way you're doing that is, and you're sort of requesting, and the other person has to say, yep, I agree, and there's ways to do that with sound signals via the VHF radio, uh, but you're sort of asking permission, I want to pass you port to port. The other guy has to come back and say, yeah, I agree, we can pass port to port. That's kind of the biggest difference between the two. Uh, But that was rule number one, application. Uh, Rule number two, responsibility. Now, here we go. Uh, Rule number two is known as the good seamanship and general prudential rule. Now, this is the one that will get you. This is is kind of the gotcha uh, for the Coast Guard. It reads like this. Nothing in these rules shall exonerate any vessel owner 
captain or crew from penalty for the neglect of complying with the rules or by the ordinary practice of good seamanship or by the special circumstances of the case. Now, this is this is where it gets a little wonky right here. A special circumstance is considered a situation not covered by the rules. And since meeting, now called head-on, crossing and overtaking rules are designated for only two vessels interacting, when you get three vessels coming together, it is considered a special circumstance and is not covered by any of the rules. So, and I know that's that's a bit confusing right there. And believe me, when you're out here running on the river up on the uh, Chesapeake Bay with us, there's always three or more boats on the water at any one time. So it's fairly much uh, a pretty consistent special circumstances kind of a deal. Uh, in the following rules, dual regard shall be given to all dangers of navigation and collision to any special circumstance to which may make a departure from these rules to avoid immediate danger. Hmm. Well, what does that all mean? That's kind of a lot of a mouthful, right? So, again, all the rules in the navigation uh, rules of the road are written as one vessel interacts with another vessel. Two vessels, not three, not six, not ten, not twenty, which can very well happen a fair amount of the time. Um, so what they're kind of saying is just because you're on starboard and you have right away doesn't mean that you go ahead and let the other guy run into you because he didn't make the right move. I will tell you, and again, I'm no legal expert. I'm not a lawyer. I'm just a captain. I know the rules. So if I'm on starboard tack and I'm cutting across the river and I see somebody approaching from my port and I'm thinking in my brain, for one thing, I'm sailing. Second thing, I'm on starboard tack. He should yield to me, give me the right of way. And then he runs into me. Well, the Coast Guard's going to find him at fault and me at fault. Right, because no matter what this rule says, rule number two gives me permission to do whatever I need to do to avoid collision, and I should have done that. I should have not held my course and kept on and let the guy run right into me, which I wouldn't have done anyway, but this just kind of spells it out that you know you know. Don't become a sea lawyer and say, I have the right of way. You ran into me. It's your fault. I would say, and again, no legal expert here, but pretty much from what I understand and from everything I've been exposed to, probably well over 90% of the time when you have some sort of an incident in on the water somewhere between two vessels, the Coast Guard's going to find both of you at fault. Now, they're going to assign different percentages to uh, each of you, but it's not that you're going to say, well, I had the right way. You know, I'm, there's, I didn't do anything wrong. That ain't going to cut it. Because right here in rule number two, they got you, and they're going to write you a ticket as well. So, again, if I'm on starboard tack and I'm driving along and I let somebody run into me, it's it's, why I would, it's not just as much my fault, but it is my fault that I let him hit me as well as he ran into me. So that's kind of a gotcha rule. Keep that one in mind. That's a big one right there. 
Um, at least in my book, it is. Uh, rule number three, general definitions. Um, there's probably a bunch of stuff here you've never heard before, I would assume. And unless you're really, I mean, we're, we're, we have a fair amount of commercial traffic that, you know, we're in, we have close encounters with on a regular basis. Um, so understanding what some of these things are is, is important for sure. So uh, general definitions, let's talk about a vessel. The word vessel includes every description of watercraft used or capable of being used as a means of transportation on the water. Some bass boats and even a manned tube being towed. So keep in mind, if you're floating on the water on something, they're going to consider, they're going to consider that a vessel. And again, they're talking about tubing. They're talking about kayaks. They're talking about stand-up paddle boards, jet skis, sailboats, power boats, uh, sailboards. Uh, just as a side note, I when I applied for my first captain's license, my OUPV license, uh, a while back, I could actually use windsurfing time as time underway. So, you know, if you're floating on the water on something, that's kind of and and you're not attached to the bottom which we're going to get into that you're underway on a vessel so kind of a crazy thing but hey it's a crazy world right powerboat the term powerboat vessel means any vessel propelled by machinery oars and sails are not considered machinery okay that's pretty quick and simple right powerboat powered by machinery of some sort a steam engine a diesel engine, a gas engine, a solar engine. Well, yeah, solar engine. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, electric engines powered, you know, solar chargers, charging batteries, driving an electric engine. So there you go. There's such a thing called a composite unit. The term composite unit refers to a special built two-part hull that when joined by hydraulic rams is considered a motor vessel rather than a towing situation. This is more geared for the commercial traffic, the tugs and barges that you may see running up and down the bay. Uh, you'll see a lot of tugs pushing a barge ahead. You'll see tugs towing a barge behind. You'll see tugs towing a barge on the hip or beside. Um, these, What they're talking about here, this composite, composite unit, is uh, in the back of a barge, there's a notch cut in, you run the bow of the tugboat up into the notch, and then there's a hydraulic ram or winch that connects the two as a unit. And so it takes a barge, and it takes a barge as a vessel, and it takes a tugboat as a vessel. And when you put them together and clamp them together with these hydraulic rams, then that is one vessel. That's not two vessels. That's one. That's a composite unit. And you'll see those up and down the bay. A sailing vessel is any vessel under sail provided that propeller machinery is fitted and not being used. So here we go. When you're on your sailboat and you're running your gas motor or your diesel motor or your electric motor these days, you are a powerboat. Even if you have your sails up and your motor sailing, you are a powerboat. You're not a sailboat. You're a powerboat. Uh... When you turn those motors off and are being propelled solely by the wind and the sails, then you are sailing. 
So one of these deals where, you know, you have your sales up and you're running your motor to push you along because as typical dead summer around here on the Chesapeake Bay, the wind's blowing out of the south at six knots and you're just not going anywhere. Uh, you cannot claim right away, sailing right away situations or anything. You are a powerboat again, so keep that in mind. Fishing, the collection of seafood. Engaged in fishing means any boat fishing with nets, lines, trawls, or other apparatus which restricts maneuverability. A fishing boat using an anchor to hold position over a fishing hole is considered fishing rather than anchored. The definition of fishing does not include a boat fishing with trolling lines because it is felt that a trolling boat can maneuver well. The definition of fishing a fishing vessel does not mention the term commercial operation. Therefore, a sport fishing boat with a fish on a line is considered a fishing vessel when showing proper shapes and or lights. This then could include trolling vessels with a fish on the line. So, <laughs> oh my gosh, reading these things. If you're down in Rock Hall and you catch a headboat out of Rock Hall and you're out trolling for rockfish, when you're trolling for rockfish, I mean, obviously you are fishing, but in the eyes of the Coast Guard, under the rules of the road, you're, you're not fishing, you're trolling, and you do have the ability to maneuver if you need to do so. So you can't really claim any special privileges doing that. When you get a fish on the line, that is a different story. When you get a fish on the line, that at that point, you become restricted in your ability to maneuver and you fall under the definition of fishing. And I know, again, I know it's convoluted, these rules, a lot of these rules are that way. That's why I'm just trying to give you sort of my layman's version of what they're trying to tell you here. Um, but you can claim if you're one of these, if you're under these rules, if, 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 if you're doing any of the above uh, that allows you to claim fishing privileges, then you are restricted in your ability to maneuver and you can claim uh right-of-ways, I guess you could say, in those situations. By the way, through all of this, with all these different uh, types of vessels, there is a pecking order from top to bottom on who uh, who has the most right-of-way and the most privilege down to who has the least right-of-way and the least privilege. And we will go through that uh, at some point. And you'd probably a bit, be a bit surprised on who's on the bottom of the list. A vessel not under command, capital N, capital U, capital C. A vessel not under command means a vessel through some exceptional circumstances unable to maneuver as required by the rules and is therefore unable to keep out of the way of another vessel. Exceptional circumstance is understood to mean a mechanical or operational breakdown or defect or defect which prevents the vessel from maneuvering or operating as an approaching vessel, unaware of the problem, might expect. Examples of this might be, oh, this is where, like, I'm, I'm reading from some of my notes that I took back during uh, my C-School class, and <laughs> that's where I left it off.
So, okay. Uh, examples of this might be, hey, the motor quit, right? For some reason, you no longer have propulsion. Um, the rudder jammed one way or another. Uh, you're unable to steer. Uh, stuff like that. Mostly me mechanical breakdown, um, and you're unable to maneuver as you need to to stay out of the way of another vessel. And there's lights and shapes that you show for all these kind of crazy things that might happen that we're going to talk about and at some point, and I'll figure out some way in order to explain that. Next one is a ram, a vessel restricted in ability to maneuver. Oh, this is a good one. Oh, this is the next one. Sorry. A vessel restricted in the ability to maneuver means a vessel, because of the nature of her work, is unable to keep out of the way of another vessel. Some situations considered to be ram are engaged in underwater dredging or surveying, laying cable or pipe, a vessel working on aids to navigation, transferring cargo underway, military vessels launching planes or underwater operations, towing, but only when it restricts the ability to deviate from course. So, uh, yeah, so that's kind of pretty simple, right? I mean, if, if um, you know, somebody's working on something, you have the Coast Guard, the buoy tender out here working on uh, the nav aids that they do, you know, fairly frequently. Um, you know, if a dredge, I mean, you, you you know, you're always going to see a dredge, especially down off of Pools Island somewhere. It seems like they're always dredging down there. Uh, so they're restricted in their ability to maneuver. So, again, basically what they're saying is you cannot claim right away over them because they're restricted in ability to maneuver. So there you go. The next one, a vessel constrained by draft, capital C, capital B, capital D. Now, this is an international rule, right? Um, I'll go ahead and read it. A vessel constrained by draft means a power vessel which, because of her draft in relation to the depth of the water, cannot maneuver from the course she is following, usually referring to a loaded tanker coming out of port. It's a temporary situation that may go away as the vessel reaches deeper water. I will tell you, for the inland rules that we're talking about, we're all considered constrained by draft at one time or another so the inland rules we don't follow this particular piece of the rule at all uh, the inland rule states we're all constrained by draft so you really can't claim that over another and i know you know like here on the bay you have the ship channel coming up so if you're driving to your powerboat or you're sailing your sailboat out in the uh, channel and the tanker's coming up the Chesapeake Bay were all constrained by draft. You can't like, you can't say to the tanker, look, I'm constrained by draft just like you are. I don't have to get out of your way. That's kind of stupid, right? Um, <laughs> it's the old unspoken rule of uh, size, size matters, I guess maybe. It's a good way to put it. Uh, but anyhow, in the inland rules, uh, we don't really pay much attention to constrained by draft whatsoever. Oh, my computer's telling me something, but I'm not going to pay attention to that. Okay, define underway. Here's a good one. Here's a good one. Underway. What does underway mean, right? 
not an anchor or made fast to the shore or ground. Okay, pretty quick and simple, right? A vessel with anchor dragging as well as a vessel being towed are considered underway. So, so here you go. If you're sitting in still pond, which happens to me pretty much yearly for whatever reason, and you're sitting out front and a big blow comes up during the day or at night, usually it's always at night, and you are in amongst many vessels that are also anchored there in still pond, and your your vessel drags anchor while you're dragging that anchor across the vessel across the vessel across the anchorage you're underway <laughs> you might be sleeping in your bunk but legally speaking you're underway so when you collide with your neighbor because your anchor broke free and you collide with their boat and it could or could not be damaged uh, you would be cited for a vessel underway that collided with another boat in collision. Now, if you want to, if you want to extrapolate this a bit further, you could take it back to rule number two, and you could say, well, that's a case where the uh, coast guard is saying, yeah, that that's your fault. That the, the guy, other guy, was just anchored, right? Well, no, nah, not really. Uh, cause, because at some point we're going to talk about an anchor watch in here. And if you had a proper anchor watch in the middle of that blow in the middle of the night, you would have seen the other guy drag an anchor towards you, right? So it's that kind of a deal. That's the kind of situations this, this rule number two uh, can catch you in. Uh, so be careful about that. A vessel tied to a vessel which is tied to the dock or tied to an offshore mooing buoy is not underway. So if someone else is tied off and you're tied off to them, then you're not underway. You're, you're stationary as they are stationary. And there are two types of underway. There is underway making way, which means moving with power through the water, moving with power, power being mechanical or sail, and underway not making way become dead in the water adrift sinking or burning uh thinking of uh think about it as far as either making a wake or not making a wake so um you're underway either making way or you're underway not making way and let me see where'd we get here one two three one two three I'm stalling for time here because I put my stuff on the other side and I lost it. Here we go. Oh, yeah. Here's a good one. Rule number four, conduct of vessels. Right? This rule, the rules in this section apply to any of the conditions of visibility. Oh, so I should say that the rules are kind of broken out into sections. Um, so that was section three definitions where rule number four is started the next section uh so all the following rules apply is basically what they're saying here we go what do we just talk about look out rule number five look out every vessel is required to maintain a proper lookout at all times using eyes ears and other any other means available this includes radar when and if you have one and when it is in working condition so let me tell you this Let's take let's take the example we just talked about at Still Pond. So if you're on a commercial vessel, if I'm on my Navy submarine and I'm sitting in Lahaina Harbor in Maui, Maui, Hawaii, 
there are people, and I'm anchored, right? So we're having we're having we're 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 having like a port call. We have a section of folks that are on duty that are on the boat, and they're taking care of the boat, every aspect of the boat. And again, we have an anchor watch twenty four seven when we're anchored. Um, and that was part of my job as quartermaster when my section was on duty then it was my job to be the anchor watch all night long and i'm telling you we would sit up all night long taking bearings with a periscope off of different land points and marking them on the chart to be sure that we were still anchored where we wanted to be anchored so again let's just take that out a little bit further if there's two submarines sitting in Lahaina Harbor, and we're all doing port call, uh, other than there be probably being a big scuffle in the bars in, in, in town with all the off-duty folks. If I'm on duty, and I because at that point I'm taking bearings on the other submarine, the other vessel as well, and if I'm seeing that he is drifting, he is dragging anchor, then my immediate job is to wake up the officer of the deck or find him wherever he is, and then we have to take appropriate action. Appropriate action on our part could be raising the anchor and moving the boat out of the way. I mean, the captain could very well be ashore sitting in the bar with the rest of the yahoos having fun. Uh, and obviously we would, you know, we'd have to get in touch with him. And that was back. And, and of course, back then when I was in it, there were, there were no cell phones. So it was two-way radio. But, um, yeah, you got to get a hold of the captain and say, look, cap this uh this this other submarine man he's drifting right down he's going to hit his broadside and uh, we would probably have to pull the anchor and move the boat so um again it's that's the kind of deal you get in with, with this rule number two is uh, and that's the one thing crazy about the, being the captain of a ship the captain of a submarine in the navy in the com- in the merchant marine uh in the coast guard where, wherever i mean you could be the ceo the commanding officer of your vessel and you could be home on leave in Portsmouth, New Hampshire when your submarine is sitting in Honolulu, Hawaii and anything that happens on that boat is still your responsibility but that's how the military works but that's how the merchant marine works as well so uh, it's 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 responsibility you know when you're when you're um when you ha- own a vessel you're responsible for that vessel Wherever you are, if my, if, you know, if I have my sailboat uh, t- attached to a mooring out here in front of Bay Boat Works on the river and a big blow comes up and my sailboat breaks loose and drifts across and slams into somebody's pier and knocks a couple pilings down and tears up their dock, that's my responsibility. It's my boat. I was the one that tied it up out there. My responsibility. So uh, that's sort of where we get to with that. But I digress, right? Rule number six, safe speed. Um, Here's a good one, right? What is safe speed? (laughs) Okay. As it reads, a safe speed is defined as one which a vessel can uh, take proper action to avoid a collision and to be stopped in an appropriate distance. What's an appropriate distance? Doesn't say, right? Doesn't spell that out. 
You know, there's an old saying that, well, it means like half the distance uh, in, in restricted visibility. It means half the distance to as far as you can see. Well, no, that's that's not true at all. That's all BS. Or a sea story. Uh, <laughs> I could tell you something there, but I probably won't do that. Probably shouldn't do that on this podcast. But um, anyhow, you know, the appropriate speed is... Uh, giving you enough time to take action to avoid a collision and to be stopped in an appropriate distance, okay? And determining what a safe speed would be, some of the considerations should be the state of the sea, including the effect uh, of current, traffic density, maneuverability, state of the visibility, and interference by background lights. Background light refers uh, refers to the lights along the shoreline, which may confuse the vessel or navigation lights you may be looking for. Um, Yeah, so... You've, I'm sure you've been out there. You, it's 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 beautiful to be out on the water at night. Love being out at night. Um, when you're coming into a, a new place or a new river, or you're headed for a new marina or a new anchorage at night, and you might be looking for specific navigation aids or markers, uh, and in the back with a background lighting. Sometimes we see on the rivers here. It's hard to pick that stuff out. Uh, so what's that mean to do? That means you're not going to go blasting down the river at 25 miles an hour or 20 knots, however you want to, however you want to say that. And, and and still trying to decide. Oh, I don't see that green marker. Oh, oh, oh what? Where? Where? I there's too many lights. I can't make. I can't make it out. Well, what that means at that point, you stop your boat or you slow your boat down. You come off a plane. And you sort the the situation out uh, the best you can. Be sure what you're looking at before you continue on. And I talk a little bit about situational awareness. It's 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 a it's a military term, but it's it's a it's very important, I would think, for a recreational boater as well. Is and situa- situational awareness is just uh, being aware of everything that's going on around you. When you're running down the river here during the day, okay, it's 10 a.m., 10 to 11 a.m., it's like the whole the whole river goes abuzz with people that have come down from out of state, hopped on their boats that morning, got everything loaded up, got their ice, got their fuel, and they all seem to leave about the same time to head south, right? See, so you're going down the river. Situational awareness is, oh, there's uh, there's four boats behind me there's a sailboat off to the right of me and he's going to cross my path there's a jet ski way out in front there that's you know jumping wakes and not paying attention there's a kayaker or a stand-up paddleboard off to port you know that are just kind of diddling along in the river in the middle of the channel where it'd probably be a whole lot smarter if they were somewhere closer to shore than that um, there's a mooring field full of sailboats, you know, 50, 50 sailboats down here moored, you know, that sort of thing. Just And you have to have that in your head all the time. And, you know, what's a polite way to say this? You have to be careful with distractions. And, and I, you know, I raised two kids from babies through they're in their 30s now or damn, darn close to it. Distractions on board. 
you know, any it could be anything. You know, somebody's down below and drops their soda on the floor. The wife freaks out, starts screaming and yelling. You know, and it and and it takes your attention away from what you're doing. You have to be really careful not to do that. You really, you know, and that's sort of an agreement. You know, I have with Sharon when we're riding, sailing, power boating. If back when we had our power boat, you know. If something happens below, you got to take care of that. I'm going to, you know, I got to pay attention to what's going on up here. If it's something dangerous or something that needs my immediate attention, then obviously, here we go, safe speed. I'm coming down off a plane. I'm luffing the sails, whatever I need to do. I'm stopping the boat, and then we'll we'll look at it, and we'll figure it out. But, you know, this or your, or, 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 or your cell phone is ringing. You know, so here you are. You're, it's Friday at, like, one thirty in the afternoon, right? And you're like, I'm going to sneak out of work and I'm going to head down the river. I'm going to get a little bit of a head start. I'm going to get down the river early. And here you go. Oh, you're running down the river 20 knots. You know, everything's looking good, man. It's a beautiful day out. The sun's shining. You got your beer all iced down in the cooler. Ring, 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 ring. Cell phone's ringing. It's, ball, it's your work. You're like, oh, crap. They don't, I don't want them to hear that, you know, I'm out on the boat. So now all of a sudden you're looking at your cell phone. You're like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And you're not paying attention to where you're going or what you're doing. Uh, around here, you know, could be a log in the water in front of you. You know, you're liable to hit a log or a, a kayak or, or whatever. So all I'm saying is you got to kind of – you got to put all this together. But as the captain of the vessel, you got to keep your wits about you. You got to stay focused. Um, you got to be professional, right? I know it's it's recreational boating, and it's you know you might be thinking, oh, you know, man, this is my downtime. I'm off work. I'm the, I'm relaxing. Yeah, well, okay, that's all well and good, but you know, I mean, how often if if you're a motorcycle rider, how you know, I know it's relaxing riding a motorcycle, but you're paying attention, right? Same thing on a boat. Please pay attention. So, hey, uh, that's six rules. That's the first six rules of the rules of the road. Um, And it's probably been long enough. I've been talking long enough here this morning. So I'm going to pull an end to this one, put this out. And uh, very soon here, I'll get to the next six. And we're going to work our way through these things over the next uh, couple of weeks. And by the time I'm done espousing all this, I'm not going to call it nonsense because it's not. Because by the time I'm done talking about all these rules, it should be May. And we should be darn close to, you know, getting that final coat of bottom paint on or, you know, unwinterizing all the plumbing, you know, getting your sails out and look for stitching you might need to do. Me, I got all kinds of crap going on on the boat uh, again this year, like I always do every year. I, I'm going to put a new um, cabin sole in. I already have moved my one of my winches up to my mast to make it a little bit easier to raise my main and, and reef. Uh, we're going to make a new bimini with my buddy Todd as soon as I can pick up my sombrella, which I've been trying to do for three weeks now. Oh, uh, man. I don't know. There's a whole list of things, like there always is, seems to me. But, hey, what's winter for, right? You know, it's cold. It's kind of, what else are you going to do? around the house all day and drink beer. 
as always say, may the good Lord take a liking to you. Be safe out there, folks. Be kind to one another. All that good stuff.